May only truth be spoken here and only truth be heard in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. So when our Bible study group met on Wednesday to look at this passage, one of our members said, don't we have a window in the church that uh, captures the transfiguration? And I was like, well, I'm new here, I don't know. But, but Glenn ran over um, and took a picture and it turns out we do. So this window closest to the choir loft on the south side of the church. Now this morning I came in to look at it again and I said, so if you get a chance, if you can't see it from where you are, take a look at it after. I came in and I said, wait, that can't be the transfiguration because you can see the marks of the crucifixion in his hands and feet. So it must be the ascension. There he goes. But then I said, no, because look, there's Moses on the one side holding the tablets of the law, and there's obviously Elijah on the other side, and there at Jesus' feet are the disciples falling off the mountain because they can't believe what's happening. And, and I actually, I, I haven't got an answer back because I just discovered this this morning. I, I said, I wonder if there's a tradition in iconography of representing the marks of the crucifixion in a depiction of the transfiguration. Because of course, the transfiguration prefigures the resurrection. And I think it's quite remarkable the part we don't read right before this gospel, um, Jesus takes the disciples up on the mountain right after he tells them what he's really here to do. He finally gives them the whole story that we're gonna go together to Jerusalem and there the Son of Man will be betrayed, handed over, crucified, and will rise again. And, and St. Peter says, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus said, but it's going to happen. And then he takes them up on a mountain. So maybe it's not a surprise that when the disciples see him transfigured, they get a glimpse of what will happen to him, the marks of the nails in his hands and his feet. That's not in the gospel, but it, see, it would seem that there is a tradition of adding that um, to the images of the transfiguration. And I think this is important, not only because the vision of who Christ really is comes after Christ's business on earth is finally fully revealed to his disciples, but also because I think it's a reminder that the glory of God is not reserved for our, only for our joyful times, only for our triumphal times. But in the same way as we remember when we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King, we remember Christ crucified. In the same way, when the glory of God is fully revealed, it's not revealed just in triumph, or just in success, or only in resurrection but also in the life and the ministry and the death of Jesus. The glory of God shines through it all somehow, and even in our own lives.
Now this week, um, as I was thinking about this image of the transfiguration, and, and especially the way that the glory of God shines out in the face of Jesus, I kept remembering a vision that the monk Thomas Merton had back, I think, in the 60s. Uh, some of you might have heard this before, but Thomas Merton was living in a monastery outside of Louisville, Kentucky, kind of living a set-apart and separated life. And one day he went into the city to do some errands. And as he was going about his business, amidst all the other people going about their business on a very ordinary day, he writes, at the corner of 4th and Walnut Street, in the middle of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness. It was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts. And he goes on to reflect after this vision, he says, at the center of, center of our being is a point, a point of pure truth, a spark which belongs entirely to God. This little point of nothingness and absolute poverty is the pure glory, the pure glory of God within us. It is like a pure diamond blazing with the invisible light of heaven. It is in everybody. And if we could see it, we could see these billions of points of light coming together in the face and blaze of a sun that would make all the darkness and cruelty of life vanish completely. He goes on to say, I have no program for this seeing, it's only given. But the gate of heaven is everywhere. He had a vision of the glory of God in ordinary people going about their business, in everyone, everywhere. That little point of light which belongs only to God and can only be seen as a gift from God. And that vision changed his life, it changed his ministry. It changed the lives of the disciples when they saw it revealed to them in the body and the face of the not yet but would be crucified, Jesus. It changed everything. It meant that they did not stay on the mountain but they went back, not separate, but went back to be with God's people to continue that ministry of healing and to see it through all the way to its end, which turned out not only to be self-offering and death, but also resurrection and new life. And that glory of God, which is everywhere, was revealed to us most fully in Jesus, who was God and was 
us too. And we saw his glory as of an only son. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. It changes our lives. After we see it, we can't go on as we did before. So I pray this week that each of us at some point in our lives will have that gift where God shows us God's glory blazing everywhere, not just in success or triumph or joy, but in every place, every heart, every face. God is there, and there God is glorified. Amen.